Part One, Chapter Two of Mushrooms on the Moor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Mushrooms on the Moor by Frank W. Borum. Part One, Chapter Two, Ready-Made Clothes. Carlyle, as everybody knows, once wrote a philosophy of clothes and called it sator restartus he did his work so thoroughly and so exhaustively and so well that from that day to this nobody else has cared to tackle the theme it is high time however that it was pointed out that with one important aspect of his tremendous subject he does not attempt to deal surely there ought to have been a chapter on ready-made clothes I am surprised that Henry Drummond never drew attention to the glaring omission of it, for, if Drummond hated one thing more than another, he loathed and detested ready-made clothes. They were his pet aversion. Ready-made clothes, he used to say, were things that were made to fit everybody, and they fitted nobody. Men are not made by machinery and in sizes, and it follows as a natural consequence that clothes that are so made will not fit men. The man who is an exact duplicate of the tailor's model has not yet been born. How Carlyle's omission escaped the censure of Drummond I cannot imagine. It is true that Drummond was not particularly attracted by Carlyle. He preferred Emerson. I am certain that if Drummond had read Sator Restartus at all carefully, he would have exposed the discrepancy, and Carlyle is therefore to be congratulated on a very narrow escape. Drummond's hatred of ready-made clothes is the essential thing about him. I happened to be lecturing on Drummond the other evening, and I felt it my duty to point out that Drummond would take his place in history, not as a scientist, nor as an evangelist, nor as a traveller, nor as an author, but as the uncompromising and relentless assailant of ready-made clothes. Unless you grasp this, you will never understand him. He scorned all affectations and imitations. He would adopt no style of dress simply because it was usual under certain conditions. He was, as an eyewitness of his ordination remarks, the last man whom you could place by the woman's canon of dress, and yet his dress was a marvel of adaptation to the part he happened to be playing. On his ordination day, when most men assume a garb severely clerical, he was dressed like a country squire, thus proclaiming to fathers and brethren, and to all the world, that he was not going to allow ordination to play havoc with his chosen career. Now this was typical, and it is its typical quality that is important. It applied not to dress alone. It applied to speech. Drummond would affect no style of address simply on the ground that it was usual upon certain platforms or in certain rostrums. Did it fit him? Was it simple, natural, easy, effective? If not, he would not use it nor would he adopt a course of procedure simply because it was customary and was considered correct. If to him it seemed like wearing ready-made clothes, he would have none of it. Here you have the key to his whole life. Everything had to fit him like a glove, or he would have nothing to do with it. His scientific lectures, his evangelistic addresses, his personal interviews with students, even his public prayers, were modeled on no regulation standard, on no established precedent, they were couched in the language and expressed in the style that most perfectly suited his own charming and magnetic individuality. Professor James of Harvard said of Henri Bergson, 
the parisian philosopher that his utterance fitted his thought like that elastic silk underclothing which follows every movement of the skin drummond would have considered that the ideal generally speaking he was impervious to criticism but if you had told him that a single phrase rang hollow or that some expression had savoured of artificiality or that even a gesture appeared like affectation you would have stabbed him to the quick it was a great question in his day as to whether he was orthodox or heterodox drummond regarded all standards of orthodoxy and heterodoxy as so many tailors models orthodoxy and heterodoxy stand related to truth just as those wonderful wickerwork stands and plaster busts that adorn every dressmaker's establishment stand related to the grace and beauty of the female form if you had asked drummond to what school of thought he belonged he would have told you that he never wore ready-made clothes i tremble lest one of these days these notions of mine on the subject of ready-made clothes should assume the proportions of a sermon and demand pulpit utterance there will at any rate be no difficulty in providing them with a text the classical instance of the contemptuous rejection of ready-made clothing was of course david's refusal to wear saul's armor there is a world of significance in that old world story saul's armor is a very fine thing for saul but if david feels that he can do better work with a sling then in the name of all that is reasonable give him a sling if he has to fight goliath why hamper him with ready-made clothes i began by saying that carlyle omitted to deal in sartor restartus with this profound branch of the subject but he saw the importance of it for all that in his frederick the great he tells us how the young prince's iron-handed father employed a learned university professor to teach the boy theology the doctor dosed his youthful pupil with creeds and catechisms until his brain whirled with meaningless tags and phrases and in recording the story carlyle bursts out upon the dry-as-dust professor in heaven's name he cries teach the boy nothing at all or else teach him something that he will know as long as he lives to be eternally and indisputably true now what is this fine outburst of thunderous wrath but an emphatic protest against the use of ready-made clothes a man's faith should fit him like the clothes for which he has been most carefully measured if not like the elastic silk to which the harvard professor refers a man might as well try to wear his father's clothes as try to wear his father's faith it will never really fit him there is a great expression near the end of the brief epistle of jude that always seems to me very striking but ye beloved says the writer building up yourselves in your most holy faith that is the only satisfactory way of building to build on your own sight if i build my house on another man's piece of ground it is sure to cause trouble sooner or later build your own character on your own faith says the apostle and there is sound sense in the injunction it is better for me to build a very modest little house of my own on a little bit of land that really belongs to me than to build a palace on somebody else's soil it is better for me to build up my character very unpretentiously perhaps on my own faith than to erect a much more imposing structure on another man's creed that is the philosophy of ready-made clothes disguised under a slight change of metaphor i have heard that some people spend their time in church inspecting other people's clothes if that is so they must be profoundly impressed by the amazing proportion of misfits the souls of thousands are quite obviously clad in ready-made garments 
here is the spirit of a bright young girl decked out in all the contents of her grandmother's spiritual wardrobe the clothes fitted the grandmother perfectly the old lady looked charming in them but the granddaughter looks ridiculous i was once at a testimony meeting the thing that most impressed me was the continual repetition of certain phrases speaker after speaker rang the changes on the same stereotyped expression i saw at once that i had fallen among a people who went in for ready-made clothes the thing takes even more objectionable forms those who are half as fond as i am of mark rutherford will have already recalled frank palmer in clara hopgood he accepted willingly we are told the household conclusions on religion and politics but they were not properly his for he accepted them merely as conclusions and without the premises and it was often even a little annoying to hear him express some free opinion on religious questions in a way which showed that it was not a growth but something picked up everybody who has read the story remembers the moral tragedy that followed what else could you expect there is always trouble if a man builds his house on another man's sight the souls of men were never meant to be attired in ready-made clothes somebody has finally said that truth must be born again in the secret silence of each individual life for the matter of that the philosophy of ready-made clothes applies as much to unbelief as to faith now and then one meets a mind distracted by genuine doubt and it is refreshing and stimulating to grapple with its problems one respects the doubter because the doubt fits him like the elastic silk it seems a part and parcel of his personality but at other times one can see at a glance that the doubter is all togged out in ready-made clothes and like a bird in borrowed plumes is inordinately proud of them here are the same old questions put in the same old way and with a certain effrontery that knows nothing of inner anguish or even deep sincerity one feels that his visitor has seen this gaudy mental outfit cheaply displayed at the street corner and has snapped it up at once in order to impress you with the gorgeous spectacle how often too one is made to feel that the blatancy of the infidel lecturer or the flippancy of the sceptical debater is simply a matter of ready-made clothes the awful grandeur of the subjects of which they treat has evidently never appealed to them they are merely echoing quibbles that are as old as the hills they are wearing clothes that may have fitted hobbes Paine, or voltaire but that certainly were not made to fit their more meagre stature doubt is a very human and a very sacred thing but the doubt that is merely assumed is of all affectations the most repellent if some suspicious reader thinks that i am overestimating the danger of wearing ready-made clothes i need only remind him that even such gigantic humans as james chalmers of new guinea and robert louis stevenson feared that ready-made clothes might yet stand between the church and her conquest of the world some of the missionaries insisted in clothing the natives of new guinea in the garb of old england but chalmers protested and protested vigorously i am opposed to it he exclaimed my experience is that clothing natives is nearly as bad as introducing spirits among them wherever clothing has been introduced the natives are disappearing before various diseases especially consumption and i am fully convinced that the same will happen in new guinea our civilization whatever it is is unfitted for them in their present state and no attempt should be made to force it upon them with this robert louis stevenson most cordially concurred nobody who knows him will suspect stevenson of any lack of gallantry but he always eyed the arrival of the missionary's wife with a certain amount of apprehension 
the married missionary says stevenson may offer to the native what he is much in want of a higher picture of domestic life but the woman at the missionary's elbow tends to keep him in touch with europe and out of touch with polynesia and threatens to perpetuate and even to ingrain parochial decencies far best forgotten the mind of the lady missionary tends to be continually busied about dress she can be taught with extreme difficulty to think any costume decent but that to which she grew accustomed on clapham common and to gratify her prejudice the native is put to useless expense his mind is tainted with the morbidities of europe and his health is set in danger we remember the pride with which poor john williams the martyr missionary of aromanga viewed the introduction of bonnets among the women of rarotonga but it was not the greatest of his triumphs after all the bonnets have vanished long ago but the fragrant influence of john williams abides perpetually we sometimes forget that our immaculate tweed trousers and our dainty skirts and blouses are no essential part of the christian gospel as a matter of fact that gospel was first revealed to a people who knew nothing of such trappings we do not necessarily hasten the millennium by introducing among untutored races a carnival of ready-made clothes and it is just as certain that you do not bring the soul nearer to its highest goal by forcing on it a fashion for which it is totally unsuited and here i come back to drummond during his last illness at tunbridge wells he remarked that at the age of twelve he made a conscientious study of bonaire's god's way of peace i fear he said that the book did me more harm than good i tried to force my inner experience into the mould represented by that book and it was impossible in one of moody's after meetings in london drummond was dealing with a young girl who was earnestly seeking the saviour at last he startled her by exclaiming you must give up reading james's anxious inquirer she wondered how he had guessed that she had been reading it but he had detected from her conversation that she was making his own earlier mistake she was trying to think as john angle james thought to weep as he wept and to find her way to faith precisely as he found it drummond told her to read nothing but the new testament and he said later on a fortnight of that put her right there lies the whole secret our souls no more resemble each other than our bodies they are not made in a mould and turned out by the million no two are exactly alike ready-made clothes will never exactly fit bonaire and james bunyan and law doddridge and wesley muller and spurgeon may help me amazingly they may help me by showing how they each for himself found their way into the presence of the eternal and like christian at the palace beautiful were robed and armed for pilgrimage but if they lead me to suppose that i must experience their sensations enjoy their elations pass through their depressions struggle and laugh and weep and sing just as they did they have done me serious damage they have led me away from those secret chambers in which the king adorns the soul in beautiful and comely garments and they have left me a mere wearer of ready-made clothes End of part one chapter two